Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Mark Stuchowski podcast, the show that's all about helping you perform at an optimum level. I am Mr. Productivity, and it is my obsession to teach you how to be the most productive version of you. And one of the ways I do that is by inviting you to my monthly live training. My next live training will be happening on Friday, September 18th at noon Eastern. I'm going to be talking about planning your day, the why and the how. You can register by clicking the link in the show notes or the banner of my website, mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com. On the show today, Darren Muriner. He is the co-founder and CEO of cloverleaf.me. We're going to talk about corporate bravery and building high-performance teams. An incredible episode. Enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Darren. Darren, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. I'm excited to be here today. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show because we are going to be talking about building high-performance teams. And in case no one has heard about this, we're under a global pandemic right now. So if you are if you haven't been paying attention <laughs> to the news lately, uh, it's a little bit different when you're building teams remotely. So we're going to get into that. Before we get started, why don't you take about 20 seconds or so, tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, so um, my name is Darren Murner. I am the co-founder and CEO of Cloverleaf.me. And um, before that, I had a 15-year corporate career, uh, saw good leadership, bad leadership, um, and wrote a book about my experiences called Corporate Bravery. Um, And as kind of an outgrowth of that and just some other opportunities that kind of came along around the same time, uh, built Cloverleaf as a platform uh, to build high-performing teams? How do we provide transparency into that process of how we work together? So that's that's what we do. Corporate bravery. And now I've got to ask, that sound, it's a very unique sounding title. So give us the, the background on that book. Yeah. So, you know, 15-year corporate career, uh, both external as a consultant and internal in various roles and large Fortune 100 companies. And one consistent theme that I saw throughout that, and I think, you know, even this concept is even more um, valuable today, I think, in our current uh, heightened state of fear and concern. Um, What I saw was just leaders making decisions uh, truly out of fear, you know, not necessarily thinking about what's the right path forward for the organization or for our team or, you know, for the brand, but really thinking more from the standpoint of what might go wrong or what could happen. And usually what I saw in those scenarios is the the quality of those decisions were much lower quality than if, you know, you kind of stuck to your guns and you had a clear vision for where you wanted to go. And um, I just took all those experiences and started writing it down. And, you know, lo and behold, there was, uh, you know, enough content and material there to turn it into a book. Why do you think that people are afraid to make brave decisions? Is it because they fear that they may lose their job or they may make the a negative splash instead of a positive splash? What's your take on that? Yeah, so one of the things we talk about is this concept of control. And, you know, the more that you have of something, the more you fear losing it. Mm. Um, so the higher you get in an organization, right, so you fear losing that that title, 
that responsibility, the salary that comes with that higher level role. And what ends up happening is you get more and more risk averse um, as you get higher into the organization or the longer the tenure, or, you know, maybe perhaps you've got kids that are graduating high school and you're thinking about college and, you know, all of the increasing costs and it just makes people more and more risk averse. And um, so, and it's not just in a corporate environment, right? I mean, obviously you won the lottery, you know, um, and you're suddenly endowed with this massive wealth. Um, It actually makes you more risk averse. You know, you start to kind of uh, put your arms around it and say, how can I control this? How can I keep it? How do I make sure that, you know, nothing happens to this? And it just creates a, a fear culture. I remember when I left corporate America, I was fired back in July of 2005. And I, used to watch my boss and his boss, they would, when they made decisions, they would make decisions like they look at the director or they look at their, you know, the people above them and like, okay, how is my decision going to affect my advancement? Sort of to your point, which you just said, and I'm like, wait a minute, is that the decision that's going to benefit us doing our jobs below you? Because I was an inventory control coordinator, the warehouse for a local hospital. And the people above me, the managers and supervisors, were looking at making decisions that would get them improved. But I'm like, wouldn't a better metric be improving your job and having the workforce work more efficiently? And I never understood that, but they were looking to get a promotion instead of making where they were already work better. So I always I always scratched my head. But then what you just said made a lot of sense why they did that. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about that, and, and we talk about internal corporate politics as one of the kind of key factors for levels of, of you know, risk aversion and you know, lack of bravery in an organization. But, you know, one of the interesting things about that concept is like this this fear of losing your job, right? I mean, the reality is generally you bounce back from that pretty quickly. You know, if you look at statistical probabilities and the length of time people are in between jobs, you know, it's a pretty small percentage that, you know, have a job search go on for a longer, you know, longer than expected period of time or longer than maybe extends past a, um, you know, some sort of uh, severance package. So most people land on their feet. um, And, but for some reason we have this kind of irrational fear about losing your job. And I think that it's because emotionally and mentally you have more tied up into that, you know, even your own identity and this concept of like, well, I must be a failure or I must be, you know, something's wrong with me. And um, you know, that, that kind of desire to kind of keep that close to the vest. And uh, so Corporate politics is definitely a part of that, you know, the the control structure, the hierarchies inside those organizations. And then that we're talking about at a personal level, but the impact of that organizationally as well, right? Because if you're constantly worried about what your boss thinks or who's, you know, how someone in the C-suite is going to react to something, you know, inevitably it's going to keep you from making the right decisions because you're so, your judgment's so clouded by, you know, that, that kind of third party perspective. And oftentimes, you know, we create our own reality about what they're thinking or what they might want out of that situation rather than actually having a conversation with those people and, you know, building, you know, kind of consensus around that, the right decision. Uh, But we just build up our own kind of fear narrative in our own mind, and it keeps us from making brave decisions. I have worked with my share of leaders, as I'm sure you have, and I work with more weak leaders than brave leaders and bold leaders. There are some leaders who were able to make 
good decisions for the benefit of the organization, either up or down. But most of the leaders I work with in my corporate experience where they're very weak. They, they, they wanted to get approval from the higher ups. And I always felt, like I said earlier, that that's not the way to lead. You have, when you're a leader, you have to lead down and up and sideways. And the weak leaders are always looking, okay, what can I do to get that next rung on the ladder? And I wish I worked with more bold and brave leaders, but I really think they're the minority. Would you agree with that? I completely agree. I mean, I think when you look at where we're making investments inside of organizations and, you know, the quality of training and development for leaders, you know, a lot of times that's only focused on the most senior leaders in the organization. Um, And the reality is if you don't, you know, the very first leadership experience that someone gets, if you're not investing at that level, you know, then what you're doing is you're creating an opportunity for people to take the, you know, bad experiences, the bad leadership patterns that they've been under in the past and just continue to repeat those experiences, Mm. right? Hey, these are the things that I saw. These are the things that, uh, the other thing is what made other people successful, right? If they're seeing patterns of senior leaders in the organization, then the implication is that must be how I, how I should act Mm. in order to advance my career to get to that level. So, I mean, it's, it's a very nuanced um, and complex conversation around why we have such poor leadership in a lot of organizations, right? And this isn't just corporate America. I mean, we get to see this play out every day, I think, especially during the pandemic right now Mm -hmm. with some of our public leaders, right? Either at a local level or at a national level. And, um, you know, again, it's, that's the experience that we see. That's the example that's set for us. And, you know, unfortunately, if there's not really great training programs and there's not great coaching and mentorship and, you know, we're, we're equipping leaders to think and be more brave on a day-to-day basis, then you're going to end up with weak leadership across the organization. That's a, that's a good point because my follow-up question, which you already answered is how do we solve this problem? And if you are, a person below the leader, it's really difficult, if not impossible, to go up to them and say, hey, uh, I think your leadership skills suck because you may be out of a job. And so how do you solve that problem? And I think it's got to come from the supervisor or the leader's leader, their boss. And he's got to, he or she's got to recognize, hey, we have a problem. Unfortunately, like in the situation I worked in, my manager and supervisor were off-site. So the bigwigs didn't know what's going on. And so they were, so they were able to do whatever they wanted to do because there's no accountability there. And so I don't have a solution for that, but I do agree that training is a solution. But before you get to that point, someone's got to realize there's a problem. And if no, they don't recognize there's a problem, you can't really train them. Yeah. And I think the other piece of that is selection, right? So what's your criteria for a good leader? And I think we've all had experiences where somebody is very technically proficient, right? At the work that they're doing, they're an engineer, they're an accountant, they're, you know, fill in the blank. And they're really great at accounts payable, or they're really great at software development. That doesn't qualify them to be a great leader in the organization. So we need to be also very, very conscientious about the decision-making criteria that we have, for people that move into leadership roles. Uh, And, you know, a really great place to start is just values. You know, what are you seeing people exhibit on a daily basis? Because, you know, when you start thinking about culture, culture of the organization, a lot of that is being defined by what's happening for an individual's experience on a day-to-day basis. And that's the team that they're a part of, and that's the leadership that that they're working under. And if you focus on those qualities, 
right? That can lead to good leadership success and that reinforce the values that you have as an organization, you're going to have a much better chance of success. Even if they're not the most technically competent or proficient, you know, we need to get out of that mindset that, hey, that person is successful technically. Therefore, we must promote them into those roles. And we need to create avenues for people to still continue to increase their earning potential and increase their ability to, you know, add value to the organization in increasing ways without just moving them into a leadership or supervisory role. What do you think about anonymous surveys? When I, toward the end of my tenure, my last corporate job, you know, 15 years ago, they started the program where they would do anonymous survey where you can rate your leader. And I don't know if anything ever came of it because I was fired shortly after this, but what are your thoughts about giving the the, the people that the leaders are working for? Because that leader are, is actually working for the people who know them. Some yeah. leaders don't understand that. But what do you think about anonymous surveys? Do you think that they're effective? Well, I mean, the concept of 360s have been around for a long time, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you definitely want to create an opportunity or an avenue for people to provide that feedback. You know, to, to a, an earlier point that you made in this podcast, you know, where there is disconnected or geographic distance, right? Where senior leaders in the organization can't see the leaders at a particular location, right? And and experience that. You need some way for people to be able to provide feedback, you know, not just from like an upward visibility perspective, but even just so that you have valid data and experiences that you can use to coach and train and develop those leaders, right? If there's something that they're doing incorrectly, you need some way to be able to, to identify that. I think part of the problem with, you know, whether it's anonymized surveys or 360s is oftentimes it's not, it's not focused and directed in terms of how we ask the questions. Um, so if you really want effective feedback, you've got to be very specific about the questions that you ask. Mm. And if it just is, hey, rate them on a scale of five points, right, then it just turns into a popularity survey. Yeah. And it's like, okay, hey, that leader's friends are the ones that they are, you know, uh, close to um, uh, personally are going to give fives and the ones that, you know, feel distant or that there's not some sort of personal connection are going to give ones or twos, right? And what you don't want it to do is to turn into popularity contests and you want valid, detailed feedback that's actionable. And oftentimes that comes back to the types of questions that we ask in those surveys. Excellent. Well, let's move on to this uh, concept of building high performance teams. Now, I'm sure you started your business before COVID-19. So I want you to take us back to your business when it was humming along, you know, people were in the corporate jobs, were in the cubicles, whatever. And then all of a sudden, I want you to take us through this thing called COVID and how you guys transitioned to helping build high performance remote teams. Hey there, it's Mark. I just wanted to hop in here real quick to invite you to check out my website, MrProductivity.com for the date of my next live training to get my top five productivity tips and so much more. It all happens over at MrProductivity.com. Yeah. So the interesting thing is we didn't really pivot our business, right? So we were focused on high performing teams pre-COVID. We're still focused on high performing teams post-COVID. And our approach was to leverage tools that employees use every day, right? So email, calendars, uh, Slack or Microsoft Teams, right? These are tools that we're using to communicate with each other to get work done on a daily basis. And if anything, what COVID did was heighten the um, the impact that using tools like that effectively can do towards 
keeping your team at a high performance level. And then I think more importantly, at least for Cloverleaf, right, and our ability to be successful in that, uh, you know, towards that mission of creating high performing teams, uh, it gave us the opportunity to really add unique value that was there before, but it really just heightened it. So a good, a good example is, you know, hey, if we were all located in the same place pre-COVID, and then suddenly we're all, you know, dispersed, right? We're not in the same physical location. We only interact with each other in Zoom or through these tools. Um, what tends to happen in those scenarios, anytime there's remote teams, is you get very focused. It's task-focused, right? So I need this thing. Can you get it for me? And all of the communication in that team or in that organization becomes all about just getting the work done. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, if we really want to collaborate, we've got to build trust. There's this concept of psychological safety. And if you're physically located in the same place, you get to establish that, you know, through small little interactions that you might have throughout the day, right? The quote unquote or proverbial water cooler interactions. You get to know about each other. You get to understand the little quirks. You get to understand uh, your unique communication style or how you approach your work or the things that are important to you throughout your day. You know, like I know that you love that that one particular lunch spot that you hit every day or that that really great coffee shop and that you love, you know, a certain type of approach for how they make that coffee, right? These are things that you just learn by being physically present with each other on a daily basis. Well, if you don't have that, how do you create that when your natural tendency is to just focus on the specific tasks? I need, I need that document. I need this approval. I need this thing. What it ends up doing is it actually starts to create distance, right? Not just physical distance, but emotional and psychological distance between you and your teammates. And I think that's where Cloverleaf has really been powerful for teams that are experiencing remote work uh, for the first time at a team level is we're still able to create that psychological safety, right? That sense of belonging and purpose with the people that you're doing that work with, where normally what we see generally when people, when people leave that being physically located together at the same spot and become more geographically dispersed is they actually lose some of that. So that's a, that's a key foundational component of what we do. Some people should not work remotely, agree or disagree. Sure. I mean, I think everyone's got preferences, right? I mean, we all have different work styles. Uh, My co-founder, she cannot deal with fluorescent lights, right? Mm -hmm. That's a really small thing, but it just like in 20 minutes, she's like ready to go take a nap somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. She is not at her best in that environment. And, And that's, you know, that's, a physical space issue or is there greenery? Is there, you know, natural light coming in? Um, is there an opportunity to step aside and sit in a comfortable seat so that I, you know, get a chance to move throughout my day? These are all things that are work style preferences. And some people love, you know, if I'm more introverted, you know, and my co-founder is more introverted, she has loved, she's flourished and has been more productive during COVID because she gets this little corner of her bedroom that she gets to work from every day. And she loses a lot of the distractions that kept her from getting the work done. But uh, generally, the surveys and some of the data points that we've seen over this, you know, because there's there's been a lot of a lot of questions, a lot of surveys done over the last few months, especially that ask people, hey, you know, let's assume COVID goes away tomorrow, and 
what would be your preference? Would you want to go back into work? Would you want to stay home? And generally what happens is there's about 10% that want to stay home full time. There's about 10% that want to go back to the office full time. And about 80% want the flexibility. They want both, right? They want to be able to work from home two or three days. And they want to be able to be in the office for two to three days, right? They still crave that interaction. They still crave some, you know, normal routines, quote unquote, normal routines. But they also want the flexibility to be able to work from home on days where they take their kids to the doctor or, you know, they've got an oil change that they need to take care of, right? And I think if if anything comes from this, the new normal, right, will be more flexibility. I think People see now that there is the opportunity to work at least somewhat remotely. Uh, there's still power to be physically located together, and we can improve and increase the value of collaboration when we're physically in the same space. But um, but people want that flexibility, and I think organizations are going to have to find ways to, to create that for people. What about a maturity uh, or accountability point of view? I know some people, I've dealt with clients of mine who have their offices now working remotely. And there are people who just shouldn't work remotely because they are not responsible enough to work. They're out, you know, whatever, going for walks or doing laundry, and they're not really doing their job. So do you think some people are just, they have to be in an office environment so they can be held more accountable? Because let's face it. You can't put a camera in someone's office, at their home office, and see if they're at work. And so they could be doing anything, and you really can't see them. So, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think this. I think the big thing is some people absolutely need the structure of of a structured day, right? So I'll use the example of my twelve year old son, um, sixth grade. You know, first year in middle school. Um, first three quarters, he flourished, right? Straight A student. Um, and then we hit that fourth quarter, right? Which was March timeframe. Mm-hmm. Um, everything shut down, school goes, you know, remote and his, his performance absolutely tanked. And it wasn't that he, you know, intentionally loafed. Um, he actually just needed, he needed actually two things. One, he needed the structure of a normal routine, Right. And if he had to set his own structure, especially as a 12 year old, but I think those same patterns will probably manifest later in his life. Um, But without that structure, it was easy for him to just choose Fortnite, you know, and PS4 over (laughs) turning in that work. Right. And so he needed the structure. That was the first thing. The second thing that he really thrives under is the interaction at a group level. Right. Uh, so for him, it was about that engagement with his friends. It was it actually created accountability for him because he got to see other, you know, his peers heads down and focused on the work. It created space for him where the only thing he could do during that time period, right, was to work on his, you know, to read the things, to do the exercises, to turn the work in. So the absence of those two things were really a killer for him. You know, it, it was it was a challenge to get him to a C level in that fourth quarter. And really the two big issues were the lack of structure and the lack of, and when I say accountability, it's less so like, Hey, big brother, you know, if I'm, if I'm translating that to the workplace, it's less about big brother with video recording or screen recording or any of that kind of stuff looking down on them, but more about just the personal accountability of being a part of a team Mm -hmm. and having a responsibility to those people. 
Well, for me personally, I decided to go virtual like six to nine months before COVID hit. I'm more comfortable. I, I turned out I'm an ambivert. So when I'm on stage or on my podcast, I'm an extrovert, but I really like being just my wife and I at the home. And that's what I like to do. I excel at that. And people ask me, what are you doing that most people aren't? I'm like, what you just said, structure. I don't just go willy nilly through my day and like, ah, whatever happens. I have my plan out my day. This is what I'm going to do at nine, 10, 11, 12, one, whatever. And I think if you Absolutely. just have structure in your day, even if you like your kids are home and you have to have homeschool. So what do the homeschool hours look like? When are you going to work? When are you going to have family time? You, you create yeah. a schedule with your family and now everybody knows this is our schedule for Monday or Tuesday or whatever they may be. But most people, they're just like, they're just whatever happens, happens. And then they get to the end of the day and like, wow, I got nothing done today because you weren't intentional about planning your day. And so yeah. I really think people love structure, even people who are writers. And they're going to go to that wooden shack out in the middle of the woods. They've got some cabin. That's structured. They're going to go out there for three weeks or three months, whatever the case may be, and they're going to write all day. That's still structure. It's just it's a big structure, but they still have structure. And I think human beings need to have structure in order for to be the most productive versions of themselves. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think one of the biggest challenges, right, is when we have a big event like this that forces us out of our comfort zone. What we try to do is just kind of force our new life back into that same structure. And it takes time, uh, a lot of times, for people to understand their new reality and to say, like, oh, what I did before doesn't work now. And I've got to figure that out. And some people might figure that out day one, you know, some people might figure it out week one, you know, on Friday of week one. And some people, it might actually take a couple months. So one of the things as a leader, you know, if you're seeing that happen, you know, really dig into, hey, what are your personal circumstances? And how can we create an environment? How can we create structure? You know, and I think as a leader, that is a job that we have in the midst of this is to say, how can we resource? How can we equip you? How can we train you? How can we help build some structure in your life so that you can still be productive amidst all of these other things going on? Um, so if you're finding it's because some people naturally just figure that out quickly and they create the routines and they create the rhythms that are going to work for them in this kind of new environment and other people need some help, you know, I get it. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything that we didn't talk about in the show today that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, I guess one thing, you know, we've talked a lot about leadership, we've talked a lot about teamwork, and I think the focus of teamwork, at least in our conversation today, has been more on the remote versus, um, you know, versus in person. But, you know, regardless of what kind of team that you're in, um, you know, we've designed a product, really provide a lot of transparency to some of those nuances, right? We've talked about introverted, extroverted. We've talked about some of the natural physical circumstances where we know that we do our best work. Um, and one of the great things about our platform is we provide a lot of different views to the types of work and the specifically the circumstances that we need to be successful and not just for us individually, but also in terms of how we interact with the people that we are on teams with on a, on a daily basis. And you can go to cloverleaf.me, you can create a free account, right? So you're, you're going to get value. You don't have to like sign up to some large subscription and we're going to give you value right away. So definitely check that out because it's not just about you and self-awareness, but it's also about how your personal style 
interacts with the personal styles of the people around you. And we just provide a ton of transparency to that process and give you the tools and the resources that you need to be successful with those people that you're working with every day. Now, this next question has nothing to do with corporate or teamwork. Have you had an opportunity to watch any of the sporting events without the fans? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge sports fan. So I've, is it weird? I've watched, I've watched a lot of baseball. I mean, I think they're trying to do the best that they can, you yeah. know, with the crowd noises and, you know, like the, the weird thing with the NBA where they've got the, the video screens yeah. and they've got, like, that's a little, that's a little too much for me. But, um, you know, I was watching actually last night, um, you know, in the NBA playoffs, uh, Luka Doncic with the Dallas, uh, Dallas Mavericks and he hit the game winning shot and, for a brief second, I was like, oh, my gosh, that actually felt real. It felt like I could <laughs> sense the energy of a last-second shot with a crowded arena. Um, but then that faded quickly because then then the crowd noise dissipated, the, the yeah. piped-in crowd yeah. noise. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. There's 40 people there, you know. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I, tried, I tried to watch some hockey, just couldn't get into it. I tried to watch some basketball, couldn't get into it. And I love basketball. It's going to be interesting with the NFL starting on September 10th. Uh, the first game is my Houston Texans playing at Kansas City. Apparently, Kansas City is going to have 25% people there. But even then, you know, if it gets like a critical fourth down at the end of the game, they're not going to be loud enough to make a difference. And the first game for the Houston Texans, I think we played the Baltimore Ravens. They've already said no fans. And the players in all the sports are saying they get jazzed up. Whether the the, the, the fans are booing you because you're away or your your team home crowd is cheering you on, that not being there, they know it's piped in. They say it's really it's really difficult to get up for it because they know there's no one there. I mean, there's people watching it, but you can't see them. And it's going to be really interesting. I know Jerry Jones, the Dallas Cowboys, said he's going to have fans every game, but still, you can only have like 25 or 50% occupancy and social right. distancing and stuff like that. But I think it's going to be very interesting, um, you know, that first night because people – we didn't have sports for like March, April, May, June. And I think, think some started coming out like NASCAR or golf started coming in in June, but there's no fans there. And I don't know. I just hope this isn't our new normal. I know there are some people out there saying, yeah, we're going to wear masks the rest of our life. I'm like, uh, why would you want that? Why would, who's cheering to wear masks the rest of their life and social no, distancing? And then, yeah. Well, some people are. And I think you're crazy because do you really? I mean, I'm 55. I plan on living at least to 100. I don't want to wear a mask. Yeah. I don't wear a mask. I work at home. Okay. So what am I going to wear a mask at home for? But my point is anybody who says, yeah, I'm buying all these masks. I'm going to wear them for a long time. I'm like, you should be rooting for a cure. Not right. that we Absolutely. have to wear masks for 50 years. So I just don't get that. So, um, so we can go to cloverleaf.me to get the more information about you and get a free, uh, a free account and see what we can do, uh, what you can do for us there. So thank you so much for being on the show today. It was absolute delight talking to you, especially I wasn't even going to go the route of corporate bravery, but when you said the name of the book, I said, Oh, I can't let that go. And you gave <laughs> us a lot of information on that. So thank you so much for being on the show today. No, thanks so much, Mark. I really enjoyed our conversation today. And just before we go, don't forget to register for my next live training. 
Friday, September 18th at noon Eastern. Going to be talking about planning your day, the why and the how. Register by clicking the link in my show notes or and the banner of my website, mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski Podcast. Until we meet again, my friend, go be productive.